Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan Corporate and Investment Bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the FIC Market Structure team. They'll be talking about some of the regulatory initiatives and microstructural developments on our radar, which could shape market liquidity in the fixed income, currency, and commodity markets. Hi, I'm Meredith Cleary from the FIC Market Structure team, and today we're going to be focused on SACR, or the Standardized Approach for Counterparty Credit Risk, which went live in April 2020. Since the mandatory compliance date began in January of this year, there's been numerous mentions of SACR and its varying impact across banks and bank counterparties. So what is SACR? To put it simply, this rule establishes a standardized approach to calculating the current and potential future exposure of a counterparty's activities with a bank in over-the-counter derivatives. In this episode, we're going to take a look at short-dated FX swaps and forwards to assess the impact of SACR and consider what optimization opportunities are available for the buy side. To do this, I'm joined by Kate Finlayson, Head of FIC Market Structure, and Scott Wacker, Head of FIC eSales. Welcome to you both. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Kate, let's start with you. Why do we have SACR, and why was this new methodology put in place? Thanks, Meredith. Yes, so as you mentioned, SACR is aimed at OTC derivatives. Essentially, it computes the required risk-weighted assets or capital that should be set aside to support that business. SACA has replaced existing standardized approaches such as the current exposure method, SEM, and standardized method, and was brought in to address various shortcomings under these methods by increasing risk sensitivity, recognizing the risk-reducing effects of netting and hedging, and differentiating between margined and unmargined transactions. As the volume of trades that are cleared and margined has increased due to other regulatory drivers, for example, the European Market Infrastructure Regulation, EMEA, and the uncleared margin requirements, the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision thought it appropriate to adopt a new methodology that takes netting and the application of margining into account. So we're at the end of the first year of mandatory application of SACR by U.S. banks. Each U.S. bank has arguably been impacted in different ways in terms of its common equity tier one ratio. Scott, could you explain to us why U.S. banks are experiencing this impact more significantly than European banks? In general, and of course subject to local regulatory approval, larger banks globally have the ability to use an internal model methodology, or IMM, instead of a standardized approach such as SEM or SACR. IMM is an in-house model projecting a bank's exposure to a counterpart. That said, unlike non-U.S. banks, U.S. banks are required to follow the standard risk-weighted asset calculation methodology due to the Collins Amendment to the Dodd-Frank Act, which floors the risk-weighted asset calculation to 100% of the SACA results or outputs. As a result, U.S. banks are required to apply the higher of the two models between SACA or IMM. This difference has meant that U.S. banks have perhaps felt more affected by the SACR go-live in January than their non-American peers. And Scott, do you think there's a possibility this may change in the future where these differences aren't as pronounced? Look, there are jurisdictional differences, all regulated by local authorities. Um, They may change over time, particularly as Basel IV is developed and a broader use of the output floors is considered in different countries. 
So yes, I mean, we will have to wait and see how things uh, pan out. And Kate, so let's look at how SACR is actually calculated. Could you maybe provide us with a basic breakdown of the various components? Sure. Okay, so this is going to sound a little technical, so bear with me, but I think it's important to understand these components. SACA looks to assess the exposure at default of a counterparty, determining risk-weighted assets, and it's made up of two components, the replacement cost and the potential future exposure, which are then multiplied by an alpha factor. So importantly, this replacement cost represents the immediate loss that would occur if a counterparty defaulted, i.e. the the current exposure. And it's calculated as the total mark-to-market of the derivatives transactions at the netting set level, minus available collateral posted for the transactions. And that's flawed at zero. Okay, thanks, Kate. Scott, with that formula in mind, there were a few press articles that we've seen about Sacker's impact on the pricing of short-dated FX swaps and forwards. Why have these FX derivatives been particularly impacted? Yeah, sure. It's, it's actually been an interesting ride so far this year. But given the market structure of FX derivatives, the impact has been particularly pronounced for uncollateralized short-dated FX swaps and forwards. And this is really due to two key changes in the SACR methodology versus the SEM methodology or some of the other previous methodologies that were deployed. So first of all, the supervisory factor applied to the potential future exposure has changed. So previously, the PFE calculations under SEM used supervisory factors, which were applied to the notional and maturity to establish an expected worst-case scenario under times of stress. These were staggered in maturity buckets starting at 1% for tenors out to one year, 5% for tenors ranging from one to five years, and then 7.5% for five years and beyond. However, under SACR, 1% wasn't considered sufficient to cover the volatility seen in the FX markets during times of stress. So unlike under SEM, SACR prescribes a flat factor of 4%, which is maturity adjusted out to one year and capped at 4% thereafter. This significantly increased the factor applied to short-dated FX derivatives while reducing the factor for longer-dated derivatives. And this was particularly important given that the majority of FX forward positions in the market are under one year in maturity. So that was the first factor. Second, and perhaps of more significance, is that SACR introduces a 40% premium to the overall calculation via an alpha factor. When you consider the current market conditions with higher volatility, the replacement cost on uncollateralized portfolios of FX swaps and forwards can become significantly pronounced. This, added to a higher PFE given a higher supervisory factor, all multiplied by a 1.4 alpha factor, which we'd mentioned before, has had big impact on risk-weighted asset consumption and capital costs. The jump in capital costs and how various banks choose to address this additional cost on uncollateralized FX forward and swap portfolios has led to some distortions in the market. Okay, so there's a lot to take in there in terms of those two big key changes, Scott. Thank you. Kate, you touched on why SACR has replaced the current exposure method. What are the particular challenges and benefits that SACR poses with these FX derivatives in mind? Well, there are a number of benefits, certainly when you compare SACA to the previous model, SEM. First and foremost, SACA has a more sophisticated approach for differentiating between margined and unmargined portfolios. While there's no material difference in the replacement cost across SEM and SACA, 
the recognition of collateral means that this can be brought down to zero. Right, the most notable impacts from collateralization and netting can be observed in the PFE component, where risk-reducing netting and over-collateralization are recognized and crystallized more accurately than with SEM. A second benefit is the recognition of netting, which is baked into SACA. For example, you could net the exposures of a one-month FX forward with a five-year FX option as exposure across varying tenors, as long as it's the same currency pair. And this flexibility under SACA offers greater netting opportunities. And third, uh, SACA also maintains the concept of over-collateralization, and it's explicitly modeled as part of the PFE multiplier. So to the extent that surplus collateral is held and accessible and that it satisfies eligibility criteria, this could lead not only to reduced replacement cost, which is flawed at zero, but also reduced PFE. That all sounds positive. What are the challenges then? Ah, yes. There are various challenges encountered by banks when applying SACA. Given the focus on netting under the SACA model, those bank counterparties that have directional portfolios and where no netting opportunities exist may account for the largest increase in capital requirements for banks. When you take into account this focus on whether a derivative is margined or unmargined, certain asset classes such as non-deliverable forwards and interest rate swaps are subject to the uncleared margin requirements. As a result, market participants have been through the various phases of the UMR rollout, assessing the best route to take in applying bilateral margin. So switching to cleared derivatives or moving to the futures market, and where instruments don't fall under UMR, like physically settled deliverable FX swaps and forwards, these are not required to be margined. You add to that SACA's use of an alpha multiplier, which has always been part of IMM models, and this further increases capital burden on banks. Bearing in mind that alpha is an uncertainty factor, applying this to replacement cost, which is a non-modeled spot metric, appears punitive and, and draws more attention to uncollateralized portfolios. And in terms of how best to optimize the situation and the opportunities that could be explored here, Scott, what are some of the considerations? SACR does provide optimization opportunities given the embedded recognition of collateralized portfolios and netting. And as you know, posting collateral is not new to hedge funds, and for some firms it's also a mandatory requirement under EMIR. But for asset managers with directional portfolios, posting collateral could actually be a way to lower the exposure default associated with such portfolios and reduce the amount of capital a bank would need to hold to cover potential defaults. This would involve getting a credit support annex in place to start collateralizing FX for the funds where the activity in short-dated FX derivatives is highest. Where CSAs have previously not been required, having one in place could allow for collateral to be posted in securities other than cash or U.S. Treasuries. Central clearing is often mentioned as a potential avenue to explore, certainly when looking at the UMR, Kate, as you mentioned earlier. So could cleared products be a consideration here too, in terms of an opportunity to optimize? There are a number of avenues that could be explored. Of course, to a certain extent, this depends on the product availability at the various clearinghouses. When it comes to FX, while non-deliverable FX clearing is available, a deliverable solution isn't yet available. Things do change, so of course that's something we're keeping our eye on. Listed instruments is another consideration. 
Uh, that again is dependent on the scope and liquidity of those instruments and how that correlates with the market participants' portfolio requirements. We've been talking about posting collateral. If that's something bank counterparties consider doing, there is also the FX prime brokerage model where there is the ability to consolidate their credit exposure with one counterparty and benefit from a single legal agreement, a netted initial margin call and a single settlement relationship while maintaining their bilateral trading relationships. All of these routes have their own considerations, as you can imagine. I suppose having that conversation with a bank could throw some light on what those options may mean for those counterparties. Thanks, Kate. So perhaps it's fair to say that in a market environment currently characterized by high levels of volatility, it may be a little hard to assess the degree to which certain capital requirements are impacting liquidity and pricing. However, the introduction of this new calculation methodology does pose some challenges, which may, to varying degrees, start to be reflected in the pricing of short-dated FX forwards and swaps. Of course, SACR is a regulatory requirement for banks, and each bank may likely have its own impact and approach depending on the size and the type of exposures. And Kate, as you say, Counterparties having the conversation with their bank may help to identify a number of optimization opportunities for the counterparty's FX forward and swaps business. So thank you so much, Kate and Scott, for being on the podcast today. Obviously, this is a rather technical topic, but it's very impactful. Glad to be here. Thanks, Meredy. And to our listeners, please stay tuned for more fake market structure features on JP Morgan's Making Sense channel. Have a great day. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe, as well as our other podcasts, to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together JP Morgan, and do not constitute research or recommendation advice or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument, are not issued by research, but are a solicitation under CFTC Rule 1.71. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. The FIC Market Structure Publications, or to one, newsletters mentioned in this podcast are available for J.P. Morgan clients. Please contact your J.P. Morgan sales representative should you wish to receive them. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures.